you know, you'd have to ask yourself, all right, uh, whom else uh, has guardrails like this in our society? And the answer is going to be nobody. It'll be nobody. There's nobody in America who is restricted like this. Um, and it's not, I'm not saying that in a woe is me, you know, athletes, you know, or mistreated way. It's just, well, why? Like, I, I get it that we've had this screwed up system that has frankly been illegal and we've had it for too long. You know, people like Reggie Bush and the Fab Five and, you know, the UMass women's tennis team uh, have been mistreated by it, you know, having their records taken away and vacated and all that stuff. Um, but but why, when everybody's making so much money, are so many people like have their hair on fire over athletes making a few bucks? Um, it's just not that big of a deal. And we need to let go of this, you know, kind of this myth of, you know, virginity in athletics, in college athletics. It doesn't exist and it never did. to the duo sports and stuff podcast here are your hosts deontay epps and dane beasley hello and welcome to episode 51 of the duo sports and stuff podcast my name is deontay epps joined by my co-host dane beasley and dane for the second time we have a guest come on it's a first time guest coming on a second time espn analyst jay billis jay how are you doing this morning appreciate you for joining us I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. One of my friends, I, I told them that, you know, you were coming on the show again, and he was like, oh, he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of the podcast. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Obviously, yesterday was an hist- a historic day in the uh, NCAA with the NIL uh, interim policy coming into an effect for, you know, student athletes, their name, image, and likeness. You had tweeted something about the guardrails that the NCAA has tried to put up with this policy. What do you kind of mean by that? Well, we don't need guardrails. Um, you know, the, the, they're not manufacturing drugs or diffusing bombs. It's not that big of a deal. There's no public health issue. It's not a, uh, it's not, you know, a speed limit where we need uh, public safety. This is normal commerce that everyone else is allowed to participate in. So the, the, only issue the NCAA should be worried about is deregulating. So they should deregulate this space. Athletes should be able to make as much money from as many sources as they want, uh, just like every other student, just like every other person. And the only eligibility issue the NCAA should be concerned with is, is the athlete an enrolled full-time student in good standing? The other stuff is none of their business. And, you know, it, it, no other student has to be has to have guardrails, uh, whether they get a scholarship or not. If it's a music student on scholarship, you know, where are the guardrails that keep them from you know, being exploited, as the NCAA says, or uh, making sure that uh, that, every, you know, every uh, T is crossed and I is dotted. Um, guardrails aren't necessary for, for commerce and uh, and the NCAA needs to get out of the guardrail business. Of course, the NCAA was kind of forced into this route, you know, due to the Supreme Court ruling not too long ago. And even what I believe kind of got the ball to start rolling with the Ed O'Bannon ruling a few years ago. Why why does it seem like the NCAA has always been like at the edge of the cliff as far as like 
being forced to do something rather than just being ahead of ahead of the time? That's a great question. I mean, and the short answer is they just don't want to do these things. And really, um, the reason they're in this position now, it, 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 you know, obviously California passing the first law and other, you know, other states following, you know, really showing what competition looks like. But, but the real issue was when, uh, when the NCAA appealed the Alston case to the Supreme Court, it's not just that they did, you know, they didn't like being told that you can't fashion whatever rule you want. You know, you can't violate federal antitrust law. They're like, nope, we get to do whatever we want. So rather than accept the ruling from the Ninth Circuit that was actually really favorable, uh, the ruling, if you'll recall, uh, told the NCAA, hey, you gotta, you can't put a cap on academic expenses. So uh, you can buy, a uh, school can buy a laptop for a player and send them overseas for a, a study abroad program and pay for it, stuff like that. But they kept all the amateurism stuff intact. That wasn't good enough for the NCAA. So, you know, they, they didn't want to be told what to do in any way, shape or form. So they opened all this up by virtue of, of asking the Supreme Court for relief and they got their ass kicked. And, and, you know, so now it's not just NIL. They've lost every protection they had, all the deference they had from the courts uh, from a 1984 case called Board of Regents. That's all gone now. So the NCAA is not going to win these antitrust cases going forward. What I think that means is they've not only lost on the academic expenses side and academic benefits, they're going to, you know, they're going to lose if, uh, on any restriction on NIL. When it's challenged, they will lose. And, and they will lose when it, it goes to pay from a particular university or a booster or all that stuff. That's not going to be able to be outlawed. Individual schools may be able to say, we're not going to allow you to do this. That's fine. That's market competition. Maybe even conferences can do it. But you're not going to have a um, sort of an industry-wide cartel restriction on one class of person. Those days are over. And I think the NCAA knows it, but it's going to be that's why they're going to Congress now. And that's why you saw the NIL. Uh, they called it an interim interim rule. Um, they, they're going to go to Congress now and say, please give us the antitrust exemption um, that, that we ask for so that we can continue to violate the law with your blessing. And hopefully Congress won't be be that um, fooled by what they're being told that somehow, you know, normal business and normal commerce can't take place without, um, you know, the athletes being restricted and without there being a single uh, rule across, you know, across the country that th those things are unnecessary. So you said them going up to Congress, how long of the process would that take for them to see, like see the NCAA asking for their permission? Well, they've been doing that. It's been going on a long time. So the NCAA has been lobbying uh, Congress for a long, long time for an antitrust exemption. So they, they've seen this uh, coming with regard to differing state laws. Uh, they certainly didn't see the Supreme Court ass kicking coming. But what they'll I think what, um, you know, as to how long it could take months, it could take years uh, Congress, as you know, is a bit divided right now, but um, whatever happens, it's probably going to be more favorable to athletes than the NCAA would like. But to me, it's not, you know, any restriction from Congress or anywhere else 
is uh, is wrong. Um, you know, and all you have to do is ask yourself, okay, uh, let's whatever restrictions there might be or guardrails or whatever. You know, you'd have to ask yourself, all right, uh, whom else uh, has guardrails like this in our society? And the answer is going to be nobody. It'll be nobody. There's nobody in America who is restricted like this. Um, and it's not, I'm not saying that in a woe is me, you know, athletes, you know, or mistreated way. It's just, well, why? Like, I get it that we've had this screwed up system that has frankly been illegal and we've had it for too long. You know, people like Reggie Bush and the Fab Five and, you know, the UMass women's tennis team uh, have been mistreated by it, you know, having their records taken away and vacated and all that stuff. Um, but but why, when everybody's making so much money, are so many people like have their hair on fire over athletes making a few bucks? Um, it's just not that big of a deal. And we need to let go of this, you know, kind of this myth of, you know, virginity in athletics, in college athletics. It doesn't exist and it never did. You know, some of the some of the people complaining the loudest now about athletes getting something I know sold their tickets when they were in school. I know they did. <laughs> and so why, you know, why are we worried about them actually doing it in a, a legal above board manner um, with uh, with registered corporations and, you know, normal business? You know, we used to do it under the table. Now we're doing it above board. That's a good thing. So we saw how the the NCAA handled the uh, allowing the different conferences to handle their own, their own COVID protocols and whether you want to say that's a success or a failure, that's a, to be speculated. But with different states coming up with their own NIL laws, can you eventually see a future with any type of discrepancies between the states and the schools in regards to looking for some sort of uniform front? Well, sure, but but we have different you know different rules and different laws with regard to almost everything in, in commerce. So I'll give you an example. You know, the NCAA has never gone to Congress and say, you know what, we can't do business with differing state income tax laws. I mean, it is unfair uh, and and a competitive advantage that Florida, Texas, Nevada, and some other states don't have any state income tax. So if you take a big job in Florida as a head coach of the Florida Gators and you're paid $9 million and you take a, a job um, at, at a, uh, the University of Connecticut where they have high state income tax, the Florida coach is going to make way more money. And that's a huge competitive advantage. So all the best coaches are going to flock to Florida where they don't have to pay state income tax. They've never said that. You know, that may be a factor in somebody's decision, but it's not, it's not the whole ball of wax. So and and they've had normal you know normal business. It's not been a problem uh, with that sort of system, and that goes to all kinds of laws that we have that uh, you know quote unquote affect competition. Um, and to me, this whole thing is not a big deal. Like if so, say to your question that, uh, and I don't even know which state. I've read some of these laws, but I haven't been comparing what you know which has the best one overall, but. Say we think that California has the, the most favorable law for athletes. And, and we think that, you know, a lot of athletes are going to go to California schools over schools in the rest of the country. They, California has an advantage. Well, then the other states can change their laws to be like California's. That, that's what competition looks like. It's not the NCAA doing it. And it's not, it's not um, you know, like 
I don't think it's the federal government doing it, but that's up to them. You know, I'm not telling Congress what to do. I'm just saying what I think here. So we know that the NCAA president, uh, Mark Emmert, has faced a lot of criticism in recent years, um, but he has an extension uh, now. So more or less, do we think that any type of changes will come in terms of making uh, big decisions in terms of big projects and big uh, happenings in the NCAA? I don't know. I don't really know what thought process led to to that extension. All I know is um, the the people who work in college sports on the conference level um, and at the member institutions were flabbergasted by that. Um, they, there is uh, zero confidence in Emmert as a as a leader. Um, I think he's earned that zero confidence, and that's the perfect number for the job he's done. But, uh, you know, he's a, he's a former university president and the decision to retain or dismiss him, whatever, uh, they're made by university presidents. So he speaks their language and must be able to speak to them on a level that a lot of reasonable people can't understand. But, um, look, that's, that's all fine. I mean, you know, Emmert's not making these decisions by himself with regard to how the NCAA operates. Um, I, I, I do believe he's been a failed leader, but, um, but there's, there was a long history of doing the wrong thing before he got there. He just continued that and took it to a new level. Um, so I have no problem with him personally. I I just think he's a, he's a, a failed leader and were it my decision, uh, he wouldn't have made it to year three, uh, but he's in year 10 or 12 or whatever it is. So you, you have to give him a lot of credit for surviving incredible scandal, um, poor performance, and, and the NCAA um, sort of on his watch, losing every protection that they've ever had from the courts. Um, that's quite a legacy he's going to have. When the clock struck midnight on Thursday, Lafers. You saw the number of deals being announced by different student athletes like they were prepared for this, obviously. Um, So from the student athlete perspective, a lot of agents and a lot of people in the circle believe that these NIL deals could prevent a lot of big time athletes from going pro like, you know, after their junior year in college or in football or, you know, after their freshman year in basketball. Could you kind of see that as a possibility? More big time athletes deciding, hey, I can make some money here. I don't necessarily have to jump to the pros immediately to get paid. I hope so. Um, because I think college is a great place for a, a, a young adult. Uh, and I'm a big believer in education. So, um, and look, I, you know, I mean, selfishly, I like watching college football and college basketball. So the longer the players stick around, the, the more I enjoy it. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's not that big of a deal to me that I would want someone's rights restricted in order for me to, you know, my my viewing pleasure to be enhanced. Um, but yeah, I do think that's one of the that's one of the uh, positive consequences that'll come from this is that you'll see more players stay. You'll see them stay at the school they're they're at when they sign the deal because the deal may not be there when they leave. You may see some players transfer uh, in order to make more money somewhere else. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You see coaches leave to make more money and administrators leave to make more money. That's a factor in, in people's lives. Like, you know, money, money doesn't drive every decision made by every person. Uh, it's a factor just like everything else. 
Um, so I, I don't, I don't see why athletes can't make those decisions as well. I mean, they've been infantilized and treated like they're, they're incapable of making those decisions, but they can. And, you know, what I've always found kind of interesting is, is, you know, when, when agents were brought up before, you know, it was something we needed to protect the athletes from as if, as if they and their families can choose a doctor to look after their health, but they're not allowed, you know, they, they can't be trusted to choose an agent to look after their business uh, interests. Um, I think what we're going to find, and, and I hope Congress pays attention to this. I think what we're going to find uh, in the coming days and months and hopefully years is that, that while, you know, we were hyper interested in this at first, pretty soon we're not going to be that interested in this anymore. And we're going to find out that, Okay, um, you know, the Cavender sisters just did a deal with Boost Mobile. Um, it's not newsworthy. I mean, it, it's great. It's a great deal and all that stuff. But, you know, every time a professional athlete signs an endorsement contract, it's not on SportsCenter. And so we're not going to be following this stuff coming up. We're going to lose our appetite for this. And we're going to find out that the world has not spun off its axis. The, the sun keeps coming up. It's not a big deal. And, uh, and I think that may. Um, that may urge Congress to say, it's working fine. What do we need to do here? Um, uh, because, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the stipend. I don't know if you guys recall, but five, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, uh, you know, the NCAA used to allow an athlete a scholarship only. And there were other expenses that went with, went with school. So they, then they allowed this thing called a cost of attendance stipend, but it's not, it's not a fixed amount. Uh, it differs from school to school. So some people were saying, oh, this is going to be a competitive advantage. And, oh, my God, we're, you know, how are we going to pay for this? We're going to have to cancel sports. We're going to have to cancel women's sports. It's going to hurt women's sports. It's going to hurt women. You know, same crap they're saying now. And nothing happened. Like everybody's given the stipend. It's no big deal. And, and we had all this talk about it when it came in. And this is a bigger deal, obviously, because it's, uh, you know, the players are now professional. But, um, but we're not going to care about this in a few months. We're going to move on as we should. Um, and nobody's going to, we're not going to go into a game. When we do do Carolina, we're not going to compare the NIL, you know, we're going to talk about how good they are, but we're not going to say, well, you know, North Carolina is giving, uh, you know, is, is uh, their players are making this Duke players are making that. That's not going to be one of the stories in the game. Dane and I, we have a sports podcast here, obviously, but we love playing video games. We talk about video games on the podcast. And obviously with this deal going in effect yesterday on, on Thursday, First thing like Dane and I think about is, you know, the his <laughs> video game. Selfishly, so, selfishly, of course. So what do you think it would take for a company like EA Sports or even a 2K Sports to like get these group licensing deals for the student athletes to actually get their real, you know, real names in the games? Yeah, it shouldn't be that that difficult. Um, you can you know, a lot of people think with group licensing, you might need a um you might need a union or something like that to negotiate with, but I don't, I don't believe that's true. I think they can, they can certainly do this. And I think they will now, especially on the football side, because that game's a little more popular than the basketball one. Uh, but we'll see that going forward. Um, you know, the players can opt in uh, all that. Um, but, you know, I did one of those, one of those games years ago, the 2k, um, I did the 2k sports uh, college basketball game in I don't know, 2007, 2008, whatever it was. 
And, uh, and that's one of the times I realized, well, the players are getting screwed here because I spent an entire day in a, in a sound booth saying player names and all first names and all last names and separately. And the, the names were put at the end of the game so that the user, you know, the, the, the likeness of the player, the number, the body style, everything was exactly the same. But uh, yeah. um, did the, you do that? Yeah, you could put the the name. Like there's like thousands and thousands of names. Right. You want to edit the roster and put the name of the exact player, and then you could do that. So, yeah. Yeah, and it was a, um, you know, it was obviously it was a fiction to get away with, uh, you know, taking the name and likeness and not paying for it. And one of the things I noticed was, you know, I mean, I'm a lot older than you guys. When I was a kid, you know, a video game was like Pong or something where you, you know, saw a little little ball go back and forth and that was it. Um, so I was like blown away by, you know, how, uh, how everything looked and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. But one thing I noticed was the, the coaches were generic. So the coach at Duke didn't look anything like Coach K. In fact, it was the polar opposite of him. Um, and you know, the coach at Georgetown didn't look anything like John Thompson, stuff like that. So I asked one of the people that worked on the game, I, I was going to hey, you know, why don't the, why, why do you have the coaches in the game? And he said, we'd have to pay for that. And that that's, you know, they, they'd have to pay the coaches to put their likeness in the game, but they didn't have to pay the players. And you're going, okay, it's another, another ripoff of the players that you just take in their, you know, their, their likeness and their name and selling it and other people are making money off of it. And we thought, we thought, you know, that wasn't the wild, wild West. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't have to worry about the, the quote unquote wild, wild West. It, it's, you know, everybody else you know, works in the free market, um, operates in the free market. It's just fine. The idea that, that college athletes are the only ones in, in, you know, in our country that can't do that successfully. I, I don't buy that. A lot of the times people are so afraid of change and like, so like, so, especially if money's involved, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, what? Uh, we can't do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then the change happens because, you know, back in the, I think it was the 70s when I was a kid, uh, Major League Baseball had something called the reserve clause. So there was very little movement of players. Uh, there was no free agency. Um, and that was challenged. So the reserve clause was challenged by a guy named Kurt Flood. He wound up ultimately losing uh, the case, but it, it changed everything. And then free agency came in probably about 1975. And there were a lot of people, including a lot of Major League Baseball players, that were still brainwashed into thinking this is going to ruin Major League Baseball. If you have freedom of movement of players, um, it's going to ruin everything. And it didn't. It didn't ruin everything. It's OK. Um, and we're going to have the same thing here. You know, doomsday is a is a pretty good scare tactic that's been used by a lot of people in a lot of different industries and politics and all that stuff. And the NCAA has been using it with regard to athlete compensation for years. And look, look, I mean, this this one really frosts me. Um, Look at what look at how players over the years have been mistreated for, you know, taking this or that or whatever it is. And look, I get it. Rules are rules, but these were unjust, unfair, and a lot of ways, illegal rules as the Supreme court pointed out. But, you know, I really do believe that, that the NCAA should reinstate Reggie Bush's records and USC's championships and uh, UMass tennis's championship. Um, you know, all the things that they did over chintzy amounts of money that didn't, you know, didn't mean anything like, 
as a gesture of goodwill, give the Fab Five back their banners and let's stop all this stuff and start anew. And maybe the NCAA can gain an ounce of credibility that they've squandered away over the, the, the last 116 years. Well, you already, uh, you already go ahead. You went ahead and answered one of my next questions. Is that your question? Video games. And I was like, what about Reggie Bush putting up these video game numbers and, you know, all that's gone now, including the Heisman that he got. It's like, well, there you go. Jay Billis, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I really do. I really do believe that. I mean, it, it, it and, you know, I, there are going to be some that said, well, that was a rule on the books at the time. Um, yeah, you can have a lot of bad rules and enforce them, uh, enforce them in a way that's heartless and, uh, and cruel. And frankly, the disassociation rule is cruel and it's wrong. And I'm not saying that the NCAA should go out on bended knee and give everybody an apology, but, but the right thing to do is reinstate those, reinstate all those records, um, you know, whether, and go, go all the way back to Howard Porter in 1971. I don't care that Howard Porter talked to an agent or took, took a few bucks from an agent before uh, his eligibility was up because he was going pro the next year. If you, and look, I, I mean, People aren't going to like this, but it's true. You'd be hard pressed to find a banner that's been hung in football or basketball where all the players were eligible. It, it, I don't think you could find one. And, you know, you can go straight to UCLA's championships in the 70s under John Wooden. I mean, they had a booster back then named Sam Gilbert who was paying the players and everybody knows it and knew it, including Coach Wooden. And and the NCAA didn't do anything about it. Um, you know, we, we've got a there are a whole bunch of things like that. And there, there's, there are no good players out there that didn't take something, didn't take a free meal, uh, something like that. That's, that's happened forever. And that technically made those players ineligible. And, uh, and so like all these banners should be taken down, you know, if the NCAA could enforce its rules um, and, and it weren't selective or it weren't impossible. But my thing would be, it would be a goodwill gesture, you know, like, look, maintain the punishments on the academic side. Like if somebody, if there's academic fraud or somebody's ineligible because they didn't do their homework, go ahead, plant the flag there. But, but, you know, you've admitted now that these players are pros and have been pros and that what you, the, the Supreme Court, not basically flat out said that the NCAA's practices are illegal. They violate federal antitrust law. So how about the NCAA admits that what we've been doing all these years, even even though we're good people and maybe we can argue we didn't know it, what we've been doing has been illegal. So we're going to reinstate all these all these records. I think that would go a long way for people going, you know what, I think the NCAA gets it now. That's pretty cool. Uh, I think it would I think it would give them some credibility back. This uh this next question is kind of from my dad. It's, it's funny because he he played one year of football at Louisiana Tech in like 1980, and when this rule dropped, I told him about the rule. He's like, "Hey, what about what about me? Can I get paid?" I'm like, hey, I don't know about, I don't know about you, man, but it kind of got me to thinking. And I read a tweet, I think from Nicole Arbach. She was saying how North Carolina has has this program that they just put in about you know retroactive players getting paid for their jersey. Like they're going to come up with jerseys with former players and you know give some profit to the players that were there previously. Now that this law is in effect, is that something? that you kind of agree with like more institutions will probably come with things like this. Yeah. It's not, it's not a question of whether I agree with it or not. It, 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 to me, it's, it's sort of, 
everybody do what you want. I mean, if you want to sell jerseys of former players or current players, or as long as the players are, um, are compensated and or at least have the chance for comp. Maybe a player will say, hey, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'll sign that, but you don't have to pay me. You know, give the money to charity or uh, you guys keep it. You're my school. You know, maybe some people don't want to be paid. That's up to them individually. That's fine. Um, but each school should be allowed to do what they want. And, uh, and you know, everybody knows how to, to do business deals without violating state and federal law. They can do it. Um, my thing is do whatever you want. Um, you know, we're not asking these schools, well, how much are you charging for parking at your games or how much are the, how much do the tickets cost? Um, you know, what are you paying, uh, your administrators? Um, are, is everybody being paid the same? How many do you have? What do you, we don't ask those questions. Everybody makes their own decisions. And the same thing with facilities. You know, did you, uh, how did, did you go buy proper building codes and building that new building and how much did it cost you? Is that fair? You know, we're not asking that stuff. And we don't need to ask it with regard to players. Uh, they they know how to they know how to do business. These are huge corporations. These schools they have thirty thousand plus employees. They know to, they know how to handle their their athletes, and uh, they know what they're worth. They know uh, you know whether they want to pay them and how much they want to pay them. And it's funny, man. We we know we know exactly whom to recruit and exactly whom to put in the game when we want to win, and we know what they're worth too. So uh, um, if schools want to pay, go ahead. If you don't, that's your business. But we shouldn't have a, an industry-wide uh, cartel rule that restricts uh, what, what you can provide an athlete or what an athlete can earn or what an athlete can accept. Jay, we appreciate you coming on. Could not let you go without asking one more question. Obviously, Coach K has announced that, you know, this will be his last season and you played under him. Kind of talk about his impact on the game of college basketball and on you as well. Well, it's been profound. I mean, just the impact on me. I can't imagine what my life would be without Coach K in it. Um, it's It's been a an incredible relationship that has, um, you know, been going on for 40 years now. Uh, but also, uh, it has been a springboard for other relationships, uh, that I've had with both teammates and it's, it, so it opened up a different world for me, uh, playing for him and all the things that came from it. So I couldn't be more grateful or, or pleased about that, you know, that decision to, to play for him back in, in 1982, when I, I was a senior in high school, uh, his impact on the game has been similarly profound. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me sort of to imagine what the game would be like without him. Now that said, it, when I was a kid, it was hard for me to imagine the world would keep spinning when John Wooden retired at, at UCLA. Um, we'll all be, we'll all be fine, but it'll certainly be different without him. And, and it'll feel odd at the very beginning, not to see, uh, you know, Coach K on the sidelines at Duke. I'm grateful that we have another year with him uh, to really sort of enjoy and savor. Uh, but you know, all these all these coaches, they're all going to go, and and the game will be just fine. Um, it won't be the same, but it'll it's better. The game's always better for having had them in it and around it. So um, I'm I'm confident that uh, that we'll do pretty well in the post coach K era. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly glad we had one and, and especially glad that I got to, I got to play for him. Thank you so much. Jay Billis from ESPN a second time 
on the Duo Sports and Stuff podcast. Remember, you can listen to this episode on all DSPs, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts. Just wanted to let you know also on our website, www.theduosportsandstuffpodcast.com. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, guys.